Well, today our gospel reading is not from the assigned lectionary reading. And the reason that we are doing that is because this service was originally planned to be our Green Wig Sunday annual fundraiser. And in all of the retrofitting that we've had to do this past week in order to um, revise how we're doing everything here at church for the next few weeks, we did decide because of the importance of this Lenten journey and the planning that we had done for where our congregation is right now, we decided to stay with this message. And it's about spring cleaning but it's about spiritual spring cleaning. And what we utilized was another lectionary text, another Lenten text from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Hopefully a familiar story, but this is what John wrote. He said, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take those things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to Jesus, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. But we have made a decision here at St. John's to continue to do church. And we know that a lot of things are going on right now. There is uncertainty. There is anxiety. You all know that I love to give you books and resources. So before I begin the message that we had planned for today, I want to give you a resource. And we may be using this more. We've already used this here at St. John's. But as we continue to wrestle with what does it mean to preach and be church in an age of pandemic, in a once-in-a-lifetime event, how do we balance um, Uh, being safe with being proactive and all of those kind of things. I want to share again Adam Hamilton's work that we've done. Mary had suggested this book to us some time ago. It's called Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. So um, if you are wrestling with, gosh, it's Lent, I'm going to have more time at home, uh, I want to recommend this, this book to you. But our message today is about spring cleaning, and let's start with a prayer Take my lips, O Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, it is time for a special message today that we had planned in connection with this Lenten cycle and where we are. But in in some ways, it's appropriate because the message for today was about spring cleaning. And how many of you, raise your hands if you're at home, how many of you right now are cleaning vigorously? 
you can't find enough Clorox wipes and Lysol spray and everything, and you're walking around with wipes in your purse and your, your bag. Everybody, I'll tell you, the few people here, the staff who are here, if you can't see it on Facebook Live, they've all got their hands up, raise your hands at home, right? Because right now, not only is it the normal spring cleaning time, everyone's extra concerned about life-threatening germs. But this is the time of year when that ordinary dust rag and mop ritual isn't enough. And Mary kind of mentioned this in the South, we used to call it deep cleaning. You know, it's the take the curtains down and wash them, air out all of the rugs, wash every linen in the house and scrub every floorboard and cupboard, that kind of cleaning. Who remembers growing up with that kind of cleaning? If you're at home, raise your hand. Yep, and we got a lot of, <laughs> we've got folks here who are raising their hand. Who still does that kind of spring cleaning ritual every year? Fewer hands. All right, fewer hands, but still. But I have to say that um, as we wrestle with uh, the balance of how to do everything right now as church, I have to tell you that I'm all for spring cleaning as long as someone else does it. Because I must confess that I don't like housework. I don't have time for it. And so that's why one of my favorite theologians was Irma Bombeck. I encourage you to read her stuff. God rest her soul. Irma used to say, my theory on housework is if the item doesn't multiply, smell, catch fire, or block the refrigerator, let it be. (laughs) But there is a time for all of us, really, when things do pile up too much. The mess is too much to take, and it's finally time to clean, even for those of us who do not like housework whether it's a messy room or a messy set of circumstances at work or at church or in Washington, the time comes when we just want to get the mess cleaned up. And a true mess is one that devalues something of worth. It might be a room that we want to enjoy or a household where we want some peace and quiet or a sanctuary like this where we want to worship. And when it's messy, it cannot serve its intended purpose. And what's interesting in all of this, it's one of the reasons that we decided to go ahead with today's message that had been originally planned for the congregation is that this sense of mess and cleaning is actually a universal experience of the human condition. I don't know if you knew that. It's a universal experience of the human condition. And I appreciate the work that other theologians have done because many cultures have their own rituals for spring cleaning. And that's important for understanding today's gospel text. For example, the Jewish ritual of Passover cleaning takes place every year the week before Passover. And during this ritual, an observant Jewish family will toss out every bit of last year's hametz in a ritual enactment of the actions of their ancestors in Egypt as they prepared to escape Pharaoh. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Some people say hametz, some people say hametz or chametz. I don't pronounce it correctly, C-H-A-N-E-T-Z. But it's any food product made from wheat, barley, rye, or oats that has come into contact with water and has been allowed to ferment and rise. So to be observant in an observant Jewish household, Every old crumb hanging around in the kitchen, every speck of flour in the corner, everything has to be swept up and thrown out. Now, in our Christian tradition, so that's the Jewish tradition. It's where Jesus was when he was talking about cleaning out the temple. 
in our Christian tradition, our spiritual spring cleaning is called Lent. Did you know that? That's our spiritual spring cleaning. It's called Lent. It began with Ash Wednesday about three weeks ago. And the 40 days of Lent, which is where we are right now, which for me is very potent as we talk about how to preach in an age of pandemic when we're right in the middle of Lent. So the 40 days of Lent symbolized the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert, where he had gone off by himself to fast in preparation for his entry into Jerusalem. And during Lent, we Christians are asked to cleanse ourselves physically and spiritually in order to prepare for the coming of Easter season. So for many reasons, whether it's the own, our traditions that we come from, the traditions that we rest in today, for many reasons, we see this concept of spring cleaning as a cross-cultural human phenomenon because it makes us feel good. You might not know that it puts us in sync with the new energy that's flowing around the earth in the spring season. When we clean a room or an attic or a refrigerator, it feels like we can breathe again, like there's new energy flowing. How many of you, and raise your hand if you're at home, because I love participatory sermons. It's just I can't see you right now, so raise your hand. Take a picture of yourself raising your hand. Post it on Facebook. Put some comments on social media. Some of our folks here have their phone out, so they're looking to see if anybody's watching or if we're just preaching out into the ether. Um, But um, how many of you right now are engaged in that kind of spring cleaning? Well, some of you need to get going. My goodness. We got some folks here who are in very dusty houses. But so if you're, if you're online, raise your hand, take a picture of yourself raising your hand, or hit that button, or leave us a comment that you're engaged in spring cleaning. Oh, okay. Our AV team is telling us we're getting lots of feedback right now. So good. All right. So at least the folks at home are cleaning their houses. Because I was amazed to find when we made this decision to, um, oh, I don't know what that means, Sean, but. Uh, Oh, hearts, hearts. He's telling me lots of hearts are coming up online. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you for those watching at home. We really miss you here. And it is so weird for me to not have you here and to be able to give you a hug and see your faces and to literally feel your energy in this sanctuary. But we're adapting because we only have to do it for a few weeks. We are going to get through this thing together um, because we are church. So I'm glad that you all are doing your spring cleaning because... Um, it is a universal experience, especially when it comes to our spiritual places, those places where God dwells. And we might um, have some, like, junk in our houses, but we would never think of junking up our sanctuary. We would never put old bundles of magazines and newspapers to store in here. We want everything to be huge. If you've seen our sanctuary, huge and light and clean. We want the sound to be able to flow. We want people to be able to experience God in a huge, open, energetic space. But messes in our sanctuaries, in our churches, in our places of worship can be so serious that nothing but radical spiritual house cleaning will correct the situation. And I think about all of the discussions that happened in the last four days about what churches were going to do in the face of this pandemic. And I'll tell you, you could see a lot of spiritual messiness in various places. And I am extremely proud of our church, of our staff who's here today helping out, our volunteers. I'm extremely proud of our leadership who very 
appropriately with a lot of great discussion, made hard decisions. We did it together. We, we drew together rather than pulled apart. And I'm extremely proud of our church because I know, church, that for some of you at home, it is really hard not to be here today. It is really hard not to be with your friends and to be with community. So I am very proud of our church that we have a very healthy community. But today's gospel lesson is, what Jesus, is about what Jesus was trying to do in Jerusalem. And it was all about radical, spiritual house cleaning. So I want to go back to the text for a minute and teach about this text. Because I think it, there are some allegories. There are some ways to apply this. And I'm not going to do it politically here today. But you can think about ways in which you can think of where we have some messes right now that have gotten in the way of us serving each other and protecting humanity. But Jesus finds a horrible mess in the temple and he becomes very angry. So number one... Jesus became angry. In case you didn't know that Jesus got angry, here's the text. Jesus got angry, right? Our staff knows this text, but some of you out there may not know that Jesus was not always mild and meek. He got angry. And I'm talking physically angry. He threw over tables. But let me get back to my text. But he took a whip. It says a whip and drove the merchants out. Now, it doesn't look like he hit anybody, but he was turning some stuff over. He overturned the tables where the accountants were making change, and he told the merchants to take their merchandise away. But again, he was not using physical violence against anyone. He was literally clearing out the space. It was pastoral tough love. It was an object lesson. He was holding everyone to account in the temple to create a more compassionate community overall. Remember that Jesus always avoided what we call the tyranny of nice. Because nice, nice, how many of us were told to always be nice? Nice is a short-term fix in a relationship or community. Sometimes you've got to utilize tough love. And Jesus utilized tough love, or what we would call rational compassion, to create long-term healing outcomes. So Hank, for example, is getting his master's in, in social justice at the seminary. There's something that we call ethically rational compassion. And it creates long-term healing outcomes. How different would our country and our world be right now if we consistently practiced rational compassion? So think about that. But something to remember about this story as well is that Jesus saw that the money changers and the merchants were taking advantage of the poor. Poor people who literally had to change their money at the door of the temple in order to participate in temple life. And I'm not going to do much more teaching about that. You can look it up. But poor people had to go and literally change their money at the temple back then, and then they had to pay to participate in temple life. And the rich had taken advantage of the system, and they were profiting from the poor in the temple itself. And Jesus became enraged. I think about, I'm not going to cast stones at anybody else who's doing good work in the spiritual world, but y'all are aware of spiritual communities where they find out that advantage has been taken, you know, by someone taking advantage of good people and money misused or used for jets or doing other things other than what we're called to do. But you have to picture the scene. If I take us back into the text, I ask you to picture the scene 
so that we can begin to appreciate the spiritual bombshell that Jesus set off with his actions. If you're at home today, think about how you might draw this. Um, We have Tammy with us today running our 80 slides. We appreciate her being here to help us make sure that we can offer our experience today. But she's an artist. And I think of how, you know, how would artists today depict this scene? Because Jesus set off a spiritual bombshell when he did this. If you can think about what was happening as he had a whip in his hand, he was turning over the tables. You can imagine the money changers scrambling after their coins. You can imagine the people in the temple standing there in shock and the officials frozen with rage and indignation. Who in the world does this peasant from Galilee think that he is? And what has created such passion in him? So the disciples, the gospel reading says, echoing Psalm 69, verse 9, remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus saw that the center of Israel's worship life, the temple, had become a marketplace. The rich had turned the church into a shopping mall that preyed on the poor. I think of things like oppressive payday lending practices instead of free grace. I think of things like uh, student loans that that people have to pay until they die. I think of um, uh, governments that do things like make $3 billion or whatever that figure was available for Wall Street, but nobody gets paid sick leave if they're hourly workers in the face of a pandemic. You know, I could think of, I just didn't have enough time to write down all the examples, but y'all can think about what's happening right now in our country. The people who don't have an option to stay home and work on their computers, the people who don't have health insurance, the people who don't have enough food if the schools closed, you know, price gouging during a pandemic on life's necessities like toilet paper and antiseptic wipes, or playing tricks with the stock market so that some get very rich while others lose their life savings when they're ill. So it's as though some, someone or something, when no one was looking, someone or something robbed the reverence from the temple, displaced the worship of God with human greed. And I thought, well, that, that is applicable to what we're seeing today. So when we ask, you know, why was Jesus so enraged by all of this? Why do we have this remarkable example in the text? I think the scene that confronts Jesus in this text as he goes to the temple is representative of the whole corruption of Israel's religious life at that time. The people had forgotten the one basic principle behind the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments, which is the centrality of God in our lives. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. God is to come first in all dimensions of our lives. Yet what Jesus found in today's text was a loss of reverence for God. And though the temple was God's house in this text, it had actually become a barrier to God's purposes. And it had lost its mission to be a channel for God's redemptive mercy. So radical spiritual house cleaning when it was in order for God's purposes to become manifest. Now, I know this was a Lenten message that was designed for a particular service today, but I was reminded as we made the decision to go forward with this message and then to think through in the next few weeks what, how and what we want to preach about during a pandemic, but... I was very impressed 
by how our virtual worship today reminds us that in, a, that in addition to the temple of the church, we often forget that there is another dwelling place for God. Right? We think we have to come to church to find God, but there is another dwelling place for God. Do you know what it is? Some of you have got it. Some of you have got it. It's our own lives. Marl has got it. The other dwelling place for God is the temple of our own lives. And to be worshiping virtually today, let me know that you're all out there right now and that you just heard that point. That do you have to be right here right now? We want you to be right here. We miss you right here. But the temple of God resides as well in your own life. So hit those buttons, take a picture, do what you need to to let us know that you're here. Because God also dwells in the temple of our own lives. And this Lenten season, we're reminded that our own personal messes can prevent us from making God first in all things, especially in times of tribulation. We are really tested in times like this. Anxiety and fear and all sorts of uncertainty. We're really tested to say, number one, I'm going to put God first in my life. So I'm going to do a little more practical teaching today. Something that I hope you can take away from this that's not about the pandemic, but is about you being home right now, maybe more than you want, having more solitude than you want. But it's a great time to engage in some Lenten practices because there are different kinds of personal messes in life. If you're old enough, you know there are physical messes, emotional messes, and spiritual messes. Spiritual, emotional, physical. But all messes have a few principles in common. I don't know if you know this, that all of our personal messes have a few things in common. Number one, messes tend to build up slowly over time. We don't notice a bit of spiritual dust over here, some emotional newspapers over there, until we're oblivious, really, because it's happened gradually, that the mess that is in us might be evident to others. So messes build up slowly over time. And number two, the longer we live with the mess, the easier it becomes to live with it. How many of you know that? The longer you live with it, it's easier to keep living with it. Gary, put your hand down. <laughs> That's my husband. <laughs> Number three. So messes build up slowly over time. Number two, my husband will attest, the longer we live with a mess in the basement or garage, the easier it is to live with it. Number three. The longer we live with the mess the more difficult it is to do that radical house cleaning we need to do. But number four, if we don't clean up our spiritual and emotional messes in life, they will destroy us in the same way that the messy temple system ended up destroying the people's reverence for God way back 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. So, but to keep it practical... I think of this time of year and those, now it's frozen today, but usually this time of year we have those muddy and messy Ohio dirt roads in the spring. Been through any of those as you've gone places or been hiking. But I've talked about this before that um, in practical terms, this means we can end up in a rut in life. When we talk about messes, we can end up in a rut in life. Ruts which we may or may not have chosen, but ruts that can last for years or decades or a lifetime. So you can probably think of your own ruts in life, but ruts of addiction, ruts of prejudice and narrow-mindedness, ruts of poor decision-making, ruts of relationships that don't work, ruts of not being able to get out of our own way, 
ruts of being stuck in the past or ruts of not being able to face the future. Comfortably numb ruts, which make us not want to change anything about our lives, even when we've grown spiritually lifeless. That's a clue during Lent. If you are spiritually lifeless right now, if you're frozen by fear and anxiety, it might mean that you are in a spiritual rut. But there's a rut out there for everyone, often more than one, and we all get stuck in different ruts at different points in our lives. But every Lent, we're encouraged to do some spiritual spring cleaning to help us climb out of those ruts. And some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, I've been in that rut for a long time. How do I do that? And we do it one rut at a time. The first step in the process of any spiritual spring cleaning is to take a personal inventory during this Lenten season. Some of you are going to be home a lot more the next few weeks. And you might be staring at your computer or your phone a lot more instead of being engaged with other people. And that can be dangerous because we get more and more negative news and we get more and more overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. And I'm going to encourage you to step away from all of that. Take this Lenten time. Light a candle. Go into some prayer and reflection. Read a good book like Unafraid by Adam Hamilton. And really begin to examine what in your life might be getting in the way of your experience of God and your experience with each other. There are ways that you can do the spiritual inventory process. And I'm going to give you just a couple quick ones here in a teaching sermon. Pastor Mary has a three-week spiritual gifts class called Networks. It's fantastic. I encourage you to sign up and take it. But in the meantime, while you're at home... And while your temptation is to watch every new little alert that pops up about how many more new virus cases there are and how fast it's spreading and all of that, I'm going to invite you to start a personal inventory process with three things that you can do. And there are three Ds. Number one, discover. Discover what it is that you want to change in your life. Number two, decide. Decide whether it's something that you have the power to change. And number three, discern. Discern what tools you have in your life right now for making that change. So it's discover, decide, discern. That is your Lenten practice. And find some time in the middle of all the busyness of panic buying toilet paper and standing in line at Costco and all that other stuff that people are doing right now to help themselves feel safe and to make life predictable when it's not right now. Take some time and discover, decide, and discern. And listen to that inner voice that is asking you something or telling you something. And ask yourself, what is that inner voice trying to tell me? What is God revealing to me about who I truly am and where I need to go? And if you get some answers to that, journal it. Talk to people in your family. Make a real-life phone call, because I do hope phone calls come back right now with everybody staying at home. But if you get some answers to those questions, remember that you don't have to change everything at once. Because changing everything at once sometimes can be a a convenient way to avoid changing the one thing that is crying out the loudest for you to change. And I'm going to ask you today to just think about that. Because each of you sitting here today and sitting here at home, and hit those buttons if you dare, if you already know what that one thing in life is that you need to change. It's the two-ton elephant that's sitting smack in the middle of the sanctuary of your soul right now. You might have ten other things that are popping up at your list, but deep in your heart you know 
what it is that you need to change. So hit those buttons and let us know that you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to invite you to concentrate on getting rid of that barrier one step at a time as part of your Lenten practice. But most importantly, especially in the midst of all of the panic pandemic, you know, pandemic has the word panic in it. So it's no wonder that everyone's real concerned right now. But I'm going to encourage you to drill down into the Lenten practice of not staying stuck in the mess that you're in. Start somewhere. Start to change. Start to rearrange your soul so that it might blossom forth abundantly. And you may not have enough sanitizer or wipes or toilet paper or all the other stuff that people are stocking up on right now. And I'm not saying don't do that or be practical. What I am saying is that doesn't need to be your only focus right now. You can really start focusing on your spirit. The poet Rumi reminds us this time of year, writes, don't fall back asleep. Don't descend back into the interminable winter of your soul. Don't listen to that voice telling you, and it's probably your own voice, don't listen to that voice that's telling you, maybe this rut isn't so bad. It's a pretty comfortable rut. Maybe I'll just hang out here for another 10 or 20 years as life passes me by. As our young people will say, stay woke. Because the only difference, and some of our staff here, they've heard me say this so much, the only difference between a rut and a grave is how high the sides are. So today's scripture passage encourages us and alludes to the most frequently used phrase in all of scripture that's particularly appropriate right now. You all know what it is? Say it out. Yell it out. That's right. Put it on. If you're on Facebook Live right now and you can comment or put a little heart, whatever. I'm still figuring all that out, right? I'm not a tech wizard, but I'm figuring it out. If you're new to us, you may not know that's the most, most frequently used word in, or phrase in all of Scripture is be not afraid. Do not be afraid. And this week has been all about trying to not be afraid in the midst of a pandemic, which again has the word panic right in it. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have fear because we do. I'm not saying to negate the fact that this is a fearful time, but it means that we don't live afraid. We name the fear, but we don't live afraid. We live in faith. We live in the shelter of each other. I'm reminded that these past couple of weeks, we, we have been, they've been hard for us as a church. We had John Boyle's death very unexpectedly. We had a remarkable worship service last, last week. Look for hashtag flannel flood. And then we had plans for this week that were totally upended due to the coronavirus pandemic, and all of which reminded me of a truism in life. We have talked about it in our church over and over again, and I'm going to put it out there in cyberspace again, that amazing miracles and storms of terror are not mutually exclusive. It's not like in life you have one or the other. Miracles and storms are not mutually exclusive. Instead, in life and in church and right now in our world, miracles and storms go together. They weave in and out of our gospel stories seamlessly, so much so that we often don't even recognize that both are going on at the same time in the passage. Another phrase that we use frequently here, I want to say it again today because of where we are right now in our country, and it's a quote from Frederick Buechner when he said, 
here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. So our Gospels teach us during this time that life is not about miracles or storms, or it's not about God's presence or absence. It's not about joy or heartache. Life is about miracles and storms. Life is about presence and absence. It's about joy and heartache. All holding hands and traveling life's path with, paths with us, and sometimes at the same time. So we are called to walk in faith, not fear, no matter the circumstances, whether we're sitting in the sanctuary, whether we're at home online in our pajamas, whether we're doing watch parties, whether we're watching this later, we are called to walk in faith and not fear. That's what Christians are called to do. And I do have to say that I don't know what the future of this pandemic will bring. It's a once in a lifetime event. And all kinds of models and predictors are out there right now. And I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't know what this is going to bring. But I do know that right here and right now, this Lenten season 2020, we can continue to live a faithful life. A life that's maybe not more predictable, a life that maybe is not without pain, but a life that is faithful. A life where we put our trust in God and walk in faith and not fear and encourage others to do the same. Writer Anais Nin once put it this way. She said, life, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. She had another quote we've got up there on the screen. It says, and the day came when, I can't read it all, when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. You know, again, another famous quote. If you're looking for some affirmations to put on your mirror in the morning, these are some great quotes to write down. Put them on your mirror. Put them in your journal. Put them on your desk. Life shrinks or expands in proportions, in proportion to one's courage. Lent is a time for us to courageously engage in a spiritual cleaning that we need to do to change and to grow and to lead. Each of you has a call right now in this world. For your presence and your leadership. We have health care providers in our congregation, doctors and nurses and health care providers. We have budding theologians and ethicists. We have musicians. We have people across all specters of uh, or, or, um, whatever the sectors, I should say, of the work environment. Each of you is called to live in courage and to lead. So, at St. John's, We've already taken the risk and started our spiritual cleaning and our transformation, and the world needs our leadership. As we used to say in the South when I was a young girl, it's from the Shakers, it, was, it said, clean your room well, for good spirits will not live where there is dirt. Lent is a time for the cleansing of the temple of our church and the temple of our lives, making both worthy places for the Spirit of God to dwell. So today I'm going to take a risk because our gospel choir couldn't sing with us today as we um, continue to transform these next few weeks and observe social distancing. I thought, well, what's the one thing I can do? I can continue to prepare my spirit to lead you and to ask you to lead each other. So we're going to end today by praying together in song to cleanse our minds, 
our bodies and our souls so that God might dwell within each of us during this time of uncertainty and fear. And I'm going to start singing. I might be off pitch, so the musicians are going to help me. I'm going to ask you to sing along with me at home. We're going to sing this several times. And even if you're all by yourself right now with your computer, you can be part of this worship experience by singing with us. And I encourage you, film yourself. If you know how to do that, how to sing and and film yourself, do that too. But if not, just sing with us for a minute. Because together, whether you are near or far, we are going to join together in song, just like if you were here. So, yes, you want to help me out? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving. Amen.